we are looking at the building block of worship. So we can see the five behind there. We're looking at building block of worship. I think, actually, we could say that worship is the central building block. Okay, because it's all about God first. It fuels maybe the act of giving, joining, following, and telling. So basically what I'm saying is this is the most important talk. Okay, so all tune in, listen to this, all the other... No, 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 I'm not saying that. Um, But actually all of these building blocks we could describe as acts of worship. Each one of them is an act of worship. So this talk's going to be broken in two parts. And we're going to start firstly by looking at, well, what is worship and why do we do it? Okay, and then in the second part... We're going to think of worship actually also meaning surrender. And we're going to explore that a little bit together. Does it sound okay? Yeah? We up for this? Great. Okay, brilliant. All right. So I just want you for a moment to think about um, your first maybe uh, romance or first love story or experience or maybe the birth of a child or maybe when you were asked to become a godmother or a godfather or something like that. Just think for a moment in your head you have like a first love story moment. Um, Let me tell you mine. Mine is when I was dating Susie. I can remember when I first started dating Susie, I spent most waking hours thinking about her, definitely. Every time she sent me a text, I would write it down in a little book. Can you believe that? I still have this book, and uh, I used to fall asleep reading these ridiculous texts, like, I'm going to bed now, see you tomorrow, or whatever. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I did things like that. And I used to love buying gifts for Susie. I'd try and find out the things that she loved, that she was interested in, and I'd buy gifts for her. Now, on one occasion, she slipped into conversation very helpfully what her favorite bunch of flowers were. So I was like, right, I'm onto a winner here. I'm going to go to the florist, and in 24 hours, she is going to have the best bunch of flowers she's ever seen in her life. So I walked into the florist, and I said, please, can you make up for me the best bunch of gentras you've ever seen in your life? The only thing is... Gentra isn't a flower. In fact, if you look in the English dictionary and I've looked, it's not even a word. It doesn't exist. So I spent the next half an hour in the florist going, please, what is this flower that she told me only 24 hours ago? And the florist was naming off for me any flower she could think of beginning with G. So gladioli, gypsophilia, geranium, all these kind of things. Eventually, I plucked up to the courage to say, might it possibly be a gerbil flower? (laughs) Gerbil flower? And this florist said, we've nailed it, we've got it, yes, it's a gerbra, here you go. This is the big form of daisy, this is the favourite flower of Susie's. And luckily, I managed to get the bunch, she was super pleased, um, but I never lived down that incredibly embarrassing moment of naming a flower a gentra. Well, a silly story, but there is something about that first love experience, or that kind of first romance, whatever it might be, Um, where we're willing to do anything for someone, where we think about them on repeat, and we've got this kind of deep desire that they know how valued they are, that actually paints a really nice picture of what worship is. Okay, it's kind of a helpful analogy. If we look at the origin of the word worship in the English language, it simply means worth-ship, to express value on someone or something. But I kind of don't like this definition. I don't actually think it says it all. It's not quite deep enough for me because I could kind of value lots of things in my life. For example, I could say, well, I worship social media. You can see the amount of worship I give to social media by the amount of time I give to it, kind of all my interactions, the amount of engagement I give social media. Or we might say, well, 
I worship work. You can see the amount of worthship I give to my work by all the extra hours I do, or how I think about it 24-7, or how I put it above so many other things in my life. So it doesn't, do you get, get, get it? It doesn't quite cut it. There's got to be a deeper meaning to worship than just worthship. And thankfully there is, and thankfully Jesus talked to us about this. We're going to look uh, very briefly at the book of John, John 4, just come up on the screen now, when Jesus had this interaction with a Samaritan woman, and we don't have time to go into it today, but the, in terms of the context and the culture, it was remarkable that they even had this conversation. And in this conversation, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, just the kind of worship as God wants. So, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, when Jesus uses the word worship here, the literal translation in the original Greek is the word proskunio. Go on, have a go at saying it. Not bad. If we just flick on the next screen. There it is. Proskunio. Okay, And he uses it a further 69 times. And it means this, to lean towards, to kiss the hand in token of reverence. There is an immense amount of depth in that image, in that interpretation. To lean towards tells us there's a choice involved. To kiss is a sign of affection, a sign of value or a sign of love for someone or something. And to kiss the hand is actually a sign of submission. Submission to one who is higher and greater than ourselves. Now, in the New Testament, the kind of interpretation of this word was lived out by people kneeling or prostrating themselves completely flat out on the floor in the temples to do homage, you might say, or to express their deep reverence um, to God, respect to Creator God. These, these kind of images here, were the markers of this word, proscunio, being an active word. Okay, these were the markers of what it actually looked like to choose to lean towards, to bow, to humble ourselves before God. So yes, your worship is personal, but it's never private. Say that again. Your worship is personal, but it is never private. It's about you and God, but it should be seen in your life. It should overflow through your words, through your actions, through your emotions. That's what true worship is. And another thing I love about this interpretation of Proscunio is there's almost like a royal and throne-like image to it, which is really fitting. So I want you just to imagine for a second that you're about to walk in and see the Queen. Okay, And if you don't like the Queen, can you just think in your head of somebody you uphold with utter reverence, okay? I don't know if there's any royalists in here, but if not, who else might you hold in utter reverence that you'd be in awe to meet? Just think about that for a second. Imagine you're about to walk in and see that person. If I was about to go and see the queen, I'd be thinking, crumbs, what do I do? What do I say? What do I wear? How do I behave? All those things would be going through my head. And I would have been briefed on that. I'm sure someone would have spoken to me about what is fitting, how I need to say, how I introduce myself, whether I bow or curtsy or whatever it is. Um, I'd be told what to do, what is fitting for the fact that she is the queen of England. So this interpretation, Proscunio, leaning towards, kissing, 
the hand, or bowing before God, is an acknowledgement of first and foremost that of who he is. So he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the beginning and the end. He's the creator of the entire universe. He is the one and only true living God. Matt Redmond, famous songwriter and worship leader, writes in his book, Face Down, each time we gather together, we don't just journey to a church building. We journey before the very throne of God. To lose sight of this is to lose sight of the majestic in worship. Every kingdom has a king. Every king has a throne. And the kingdom of God is no exception. We worship first and foremost because of who he is. And this is exactly the kind of worshippers that Jesus was getting at when he, talked, when he used that word proscunio in John 4. Okay? Worship is a building block here in G2 because we want to choose to recognize this truth. We want to choose to lean in, to kiss the hand, to submit ourselves before God because he's the king of kings. He's the one and only true living God. Let's think about why else we worship. Well, our desire to worship is hardwired in our DNA. We were actually made this way. We're told in the book of Revelations, Revelation 4, 11, that thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created and were created. So we were made to bring God pleasure, is basically what that is saying. And then in 1 Peter 2.9, we read our very purpose, the very reason that we exist, is to proclaim praise. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. But let's just imagine for a second that the Bible didn't exist and you didn't know any of that stuff. Okay, let's imagine we didn't know that. I still think it's kind of obvious that we were made to worship. Have a look at these images behind me. This is what I think worship looks a little bit like today. This is a football field. Have you ever been to a football stadium and all the fans, hands in the air, declaring the praises of their players, shouting, screaming, bowing down before them often as well? Or this is Beyonce, one of her gigs, people going, hands in the air, dancing in front of her, bowing in front of her, singing, worshipping. Or the last one, maybe we become slaves to technology bowing almost before every new technological device, invention. Just three things. These only scratch the surface, and I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong. Okay, These just scratch the surface. But the truth is, people will always find something to worship. Always. Because that desire is created within us, and it's been created by God. Except that God's not willing to share that. He's not willing to share that space with anyone else. In Isaiah 41.11, God himself says this, how can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. That space, that inbuilt desire that we have to worship was only for God. It was built only for God. Any other substitute that we try to find will always fall short. 
it will always leave you feeling incomplete, dissatisfied, unhappy, and hungry for more. Famous songwriter, worship leader Graham Kendrick goes back a little bit, but he says this, everybody worships, whether it's a hero, possessions, success, pleasure, political causes, a carved idol, or yourself. The way we live and behave makes evidence the things we love and give ourselves to. It's in our nature to worship. That inner drive is God-given. But the disaster is that as a part of a fallen race, we have replaced the object of our worship. To be a Christian and to be a part of G2 Burnham here means to return to the worship of the one true God to bow before the one that we were created to worship. In G2 Burnhome, we choose proscunio. We choose to lean in, to kiss the hand of God. And do you know what? When we do that, we dethrone all other rivals. We dethrone all other rivals to this authority. When we come back to the original source of who we were made to worship, we dethrone everything else. So let's pause for a minute. Here's a question for you. If this is true, if true worship of God dethrones all other rivals, what should that look like for us here as a community? If you're new here today, this isn't a question for you. But for the rest of us, that this is our community, think for a second. Imagine for a moment that somebody new comes into this community, to one of our gatherings. They've never been before. What would we hope that they see? What would make our worship distinct? What would be evident that we have found the true, the original source of worship, the one that we were designed to give praise to? What would be evident within us? I don't want you to answer that. I just want you to think. So we worship because we're naturally designed to do it. But as Christians, we're, we have a daily decision to make to put God first, dethroning all those other rivals to the authority out of recognition that he is the one true and only living God. If this is true of us, then every thought, action, and emotion can become a true act of worship. And I say the word daily decision. It's a daily decision because worship of God is your life. It's not just about what we do here on a Sunday. It's not just about when we meet and we gather in the week. Worship of God is your life. Whether you're walking, talking, playing, reading, sleeping, eating, drinking, working, whatever it may be, it can all be done as an act of worship and for God's glory. Look at the verses behind me here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Or 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Worship is your life. It's not just about what we do here on a Sunday. It's not just about the songs that we sing. It is your life. Um, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, some of you might know that I did a big trek. I mentioned it here. I went from Bishopthorpe Palace all the way down to Lambeth Palace in London, 
basically as a marker of the charity that I work for becoming a national charity. And we were raising awareness and raising some funds as well. And we walked and we cycled ridiculous miles over the, over the week. But do you know what? That was a kind of different week for me. But doing that trek really felt like, for me, worship. It felt like worship. As I was on those cycling days, rolling through the Cambridgeshire hills and the camaraderie with my friends, it was leading me to praise. It was an incredible experience. I was doing something that I believe God had designed me to do, and I was offering it up as praise to him. And even the friends that I was doing it with, many of them not Christians, were kind of speaking out almost praises of how amazing it was and the beautiful countryside and the desire and the energy and the buzz that came from doing it. Now, they didn't know who they were pointing that towards, but even they were speaking out praise. The other example to give you there is, um, that's not a picture of me playing football. I wish it was. He's got a great stance. Um, But I used to manage a football team in York for many, many years. And one of the things I used to do with a few of my friends in that team is we'd gather before every game and we'd pray. We'd pray that God would keep us free from injuries, and we'd also pray that we would play with a really good attitude, that we would enjoy the game, because God had kind of, we, we give God pleasure, so he'd given us these skills to enjoy the game, but we play with a good attitude, and we play in a way that would kind of glorify him. And it was something we did every week, uh, so that our football playing would also be as worship to God. And I kind of think that this is, this is totally possible because God has designed us this way. God has designed us, whether it's our hobbies, our joys, our work, our time with friends and families, whatever it might be, it can all be worship to God, to bring pleasure to him. He's designed us that way. We can do these things out of a desire to glorify him. So let's just recap a minute. True worship, proscunio, means to lean towards Kiss the hand of God out of a token of reverence. We know we were made to worship. It's hardwired in our DNA, okay? And true worship of creator God dethrones all the other rivals. It's really important. When we do it, it dethrones all the other rivals. And true worship is our life. It's our life. It's not just what we do here on a Sunday. Last thing I want to say before I draw this first section to a close is that true worship is always about passion and the heart. In Isaiah 29, God complains about worship of his people that's half-hearted, hypocritical, insincere, empty words, based on rituals and lip service. Let's read it together. He says, And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing more than man-made rules learned by rote. In fact, a little later in the New Testament, in Revelation 3, God uses even stronger words about someone who's half-hearted. He says, those that are half-hearted in their response to God, they're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit them out of my mouth. Pretty harsh words. God's not interested in us being a half-hearted response. He either wants all of us or nothing at all. So true worship has to always be about the heart. And again, just to come back to Matt Redman in his book, Face Down, he sums this up brilliantly. He says, when we catch a vision of the whole Christ, it commands a response from the very depths of our being. Worship's always in reply to revelation. As we begin to see the all-deserving worth of God, It produces an all-consuming response in us. Every thought, word, and deed 
submitted in reply to his lordship. It's worship with a price, a living sacrifice. So, we lean towards to kiss the hand of God in response of who he is. And in that process, it produces in us a response from the depth of our hearts that leads us to sacrificial worship or the worship of our whole lives, not just what we do here on a Sunday. It's our whole lives. So we're going to pause for a minute, and on your tables in the center is a grid like this. Okay, very simple uh, week for you, morning, afternoon, and evening. So if worship is your whole life, what does this look like for you week by week? How do you spend your time? The quote there says, to whom should I devote my energies, muscular, mental, spiritual? How do you spend your time? And I also wonder if there are things that you might need to dethrone. As you think about your week, are there things that you give a lot of time and a lot of value to that's starting to take some of that space that was actually only designed to be given to God? Are there things that you need to dethrone? Or are there also things that could be redeemed? Okay, Like I talked about the story of the football. Actually, that's a really, really good thing. But the way I sought to do it was a way of also redeeming it so I didn't become a slave to football or didn't become just obsessed about football my whole life, which I am quite obsessed about football. Um, but it became something that could be given as glory to God. So are there things that can be redeemed so they become acts of worship? In the words of this famous song, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes. You can talk to people you want to. You can do it on your own. Just take hold of one of those grids and think about your week. Worship is your whole life. What does it look like? And think about those questions. What needs dethroning? What needs redeeming? I hope that that's been a helpful activity. Take it home with you. Keep thinking about it. I know for me, I need to dethrone something that before I, before I go to bed, I always turn and look at my phone and waste time on my phone. Mindless time when I should be sleeping. Uh, it doesn't help me to sleep, wakes me up. I just think that holds me back sometimes from worshipping. So just a little example, but I hope that's been a helpful thing. Keep thinking about it. Second part of this talk, I would, as I said, I want to pick up on worship being about surrender. Let's go back to the meaning of the word worship, proscunio. So we've already touched on the conscious choice involved to lean towards or an act of affection as well, to kiss. There's a sign of submission when you kiss the hand. Okay, it's a token of reverence for one that is higher and greater than ourselves. And that sign of submission, that last bit, with that kind of idea of kissing a hand, it's a mark of submission. You, another word you might use for submission is surrender. Except that surrender is not a very popular word in our culture today. Okay, uh, the idea of losing, no one wants to be a loser. Okay, the idea of surrender evokes images of weakness, giving up, maybe choosing defeat in a battle or forfeiting a game or yielding to a stronger opponent in a sports activity, whatever it might be. This word is so often used in a negative context and we live in this super kind of competitive culture where we're taught never to give up, never to give in, okay? And we barely ever, therefore, hear about surrendering. You won't hear about that. Even young people today are taught, never get up, keep going, never give in. I'm not saying that's wrong. But if winning is everything, 
then that basically means surrender is unthinkable. We can't surrender. Except that. For worship, for true worship, surrender is everything. For true worship, surrender is everything. Surrendering before God is at the very heart of true worship. And this isn't done out of like a fear of a domineering, harsh, hateful God. And we know that's not true. Quite the opposite. Our surrender is a natural response to God's constant love, to his unfailing mercy. In fact, mercy that we're told is renewed every single morning. Look at this with me. Lamentations 3, 22. The steadfast or the constant love of the Lord never ceases. It never stops. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The truth is that the more that we know the incredible love that God has for us, the more we understand his unending grace, his great mercy, the more our hearts will respond in surrender out of a desire to worship. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans. He spends the first 11 chapters in Romans explaining what grace is. And then he goes on to say this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern this, of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we should just point out that there is an utter contradiction in this statement. To put living and sacrifice side by side is a juxtaposition. It doesn't make sense. So what's Paul getting at? Paul knew full well the meaning of sacrifice in the Jewish culture when he wrote this. He would have known that they were spent generations of usually getting a sheep, bringing it, sacrificing it, killing it as an, an atonement or as a substitution for people's sins. Paul knew that. So what on earth is he saying by using a phrase, a living sacrifice? Well, he's making a point. He's making a very powerful point that's relevant here for worship. And it comes through in the sentence after where he says, do not conform. You see, at the heart of true worship, there's a conscious decision we make not to conform to the patterns of this world. And that means to die daily to our own selfish ways. To sacrifice our time and our emotions, especially when we don't want to worship. To put those things aside and offer ourselves to God. Serve and follow him as an act of true worship. A living sacrifice. And it's something that we have to do daily. Let me just give you some scenarios, possible scenarios. So, man, I'm so tired tonight. I've had a bonkers week. And I know when I'm tired that my self-control is pretty bad, actually. Um, but my mates are all going out for some drinks. Um, oh, I'll be all right. I can have a few drinks. That'll be fine. I know I'm tired. I'll, I might get drunk. Oh, it doesn't matter if I get back a bit drunk. I, 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 I get a little bit drunk. That'll, that'll, that'll be all right. Look at this. Don't be drunk on wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What about this scenario? Gosh, that next episode is on Netflix. Really great episode. Everyone's talking about it in the workplace. I absolutely love it, except that 
Last time I watched it, it was so incredibly violent that I had a week of awful dreams. I couldn't stop thinking. I was really disturbed by those images. In fact, I had to get one of my mates to pray with me about it. But everyone will be talking about it in the office tomorrow or at school or at uni. Everyone's going to be talking about it. I need to watch it. I'm sure the second episode won't be as bad. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Okay, so um, do you know what? I'll start reading my Bible after I've just quickly checked Facebook. Just, just two posts. I'll just take two posts, yeah. Oh my goodness, they've had a baby. I need to read that post. Oh, great, 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 great. They're selling a mushroom lamp, the new trend for 2019, whoever knew that. Oh my goodness, what? You get my drift. Joshua 1.8. Don't for a minute let this book of Revelation, the Bible, be out of your mind. Ponder on it, meditate on it day and night, making sure you practice everything within it. Then you'll get where you're going. Then you'll succeed. True worship is a living sacrifice. It's a daily decision. It's a conscious choice not to conform to the patterns of this world, whatever it might look like, whatever it might be. Another famous singer-songwriter of the 80s and 90s, my generation, um, Chris Bowater says this, is a really great quote. In order to worship God, we have to change our lifestyle where nothing else matters except our relationship with the Lord. Many live only in the realm of constantly saying thank you and do not enter into the intimacy of I love you, simply because to express genuine love means a surrendering of wrong lifestyles and attitudes. And then he finishes with the words of Jesus, if you love me, you will obey my commands. True worship, so bringing God pleasure, true worship happens when you offer yourself completely to God. And this offering will always be a living sacrifice because it means you have to die to yourself. It means you have to die daily to your own wants and your own desires. In the words of John the Baptist, John the Baptist himself said, he must increase, I must decrease. More of you, God, less of me. I give myself to your will, to your ways as a sacrifice, in surrender, as an act of worship. So worship is a building block here for us at G2 because we want to be a people that will live out the true meaning of the word proscunio. Let's remind ourselves. We want to choose to lean in towards the one who is the creator of all. We want to choose to kiss, show affection, show value, show love. Kiss the one who has done everything for you and me everything for us. We want to choose to kiss the hand, a sign of kneeling before the one who is the king of kings. And when we do that, dethrone all the other rivals to this authority. And we want to choose to bow before him as a sign of surrender, offering our whole selves as an act of true worship. This, those four things are the kind of worshippers that Jesus was getting at. When I read that thing in John 5 right at the beginning, this is what Jesus was talking about. These are the kind of worshippers that God is looking for. 
And this is the kind of worshippers that we want to be here. We want to become this in G2 Burnham.